Talk to my friend Drew Allen. And I'll tell you what, he's a tough guy. A millennial conservative. I've, I've become a big fan of One your writing. One of the great young thinkers of our time. Appreciate his opinion. Conservative Drew Allen. As diehard conservative. I'm to this guy for wisdom. I wrote an article that came out in AM Greatness, as many of you know. I think it was on Tuesday. And I did the whole last podcast that was a expanded version of that 800, 900-word article, which was, of course, making the case for Joe Biden's impeachment. The, the article I wrote was called The Clear Case for Joe Biden's Impeachment. And that article made its rounds as it should, as I wanted it to, because I knew what happened yesterday was going to happen, and that was Mitch McConnell coming out, and of course, well, being Mitch McConnell, weak, soft, giving up, not willing to take up the case of impeachment, not willing to make the argument to the American people, just throwing in the towel like he always does, making excuses about, well, we can't do impeachment because we don't have Congress, and, and I knew that was going to happen. But anyway... So I wrote the article because I wanted to give other radio hosts. Let me say this. When I write articles, and I don't write five articles a week every day, I don't write articles unless I feel like I have something to add that is constructive to the conversation, to the national dialogue that needs to take place. I'm not out there just seeking fame and so on and so forth. If I write something... It's because I feel like there is a need for that thing to be said. And so with impeachment, it was, of course, a response to Alan Dershowitz, who predictably came out and said there's no case for impeachment against Joe Biden as it relates to the Constitution. I said, wait a minute, that, that's not true, Alan Dershowitz. That's not true. There is a case, so here's the case. And so I knew other people were thinking like me, I knew other people would have the same reaction. And so I wanted to give people some assistance. So I did the research, I did the heavy lifting, and I wrote the article. Here's a little bit of history about impeachment, and here's why it is constitutional. Not only why it's constitutional, 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 excuse me, folks, but why it must proceed. And so it had the intended effect and impact. Uh, it did make the rounds because I saw that it was going to be a topic on a very, very big radio program. And so I said, oh, that's interesting. I, are they talking about my article? Are they going to use my article as the basis for some conversation? Because they have a much bigger audience bandwidth than I do with my podcast right now. So I was, I was happy about that. And so I had a long drive today and I decided to tune in and, and replay the episode uh, that this was going to be featured in. And sure enough, this host, who was guest hosting for the big dog, um, well, he did use my article, but he didn't give me any credit. He didn't mention my name. And in fact, as he went through to try and make his case for the impeachment of Joe Biden, he basically appropriated verbatim what I wrote as if they were coming from his own mind, from his own mouth. And there's a bigger reason that I'm leading with this. 
It's because at first I was mad. I was angry. I said, who the heck does this guy think he is? What is going on here? I write the article. You try and take credit like a Joe Biden plagiarizing what I did. And then I slowed down. I said, wait a minute, Drew. Look, you know, there is so much anger out there today against everything, <clears throat> everything. And so I, I extend this gentleman the benefit of the doubt, okay? I, I don't think that he was trying to discredit me uh, or anything like that. I don't know this person. I've never talked to this person. But the reason I bring this up is my, my first impulse was to be mad because there's so much to be mad about. And I had to check myself and say, is anger really the right response right now? I've been angry this last week, well, the last eight months, really, with Joe Biden destroying the country. But I've been especially angry, and I think angry, anger was an appropriate reaction, an appropriate feeling to Joe Biden's handling of Afghanistan, lying to us about not leaving until every American was taken out, to safety, return back home, to his lethargic, lackadaisical attitude towards the lives of American civilians stuck over there, for those 13 dead service members because of him. And now, of course, there's another story that our military actually knew who the suicide bomber was. They had him identified, and in fact... Even as he was going into that crowd near the airport with that suicide vest on, we had him in, 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 within our crosshairs, literally, with our drones, and we could have ended that guy's life. We could have stopped him from, from, from doing what he did, but we didn't take action. That's something to be mad about. But I just got to thinking that, you know, just like impeachment— Right? Context. We spent four years hearing about Russia collusion, impeachment, quid pro quo on the phone call. And in so many ways, impeachment's been watered down. Anger towards everything has watered down what that emotion represents. It's like if you pick up and use the F word in every sentence all day long. The F word doesn't have any more impact, any more meaning, because it's just humdrum. It's, it's just... It doesn't have any weight anymore because it's just used all the time. And those things should be reserved for specific circumstances that elicit the use of the most formidable curse word that we have in the English vocabulary. And so I just see a lot of anger boiling out there, rightfully so in some circumstances, but it's not carrying the weight that it used to anyway, because for four years, people were upset and angry about Donald Trump on the left, hating him for things that weren't real, things that were fabricated in the media. But now we're angry again, and it's just losing its teeth. And so anger is an appropriate response. I feel angry like many of you do against what's happening to this country, but I'm just suggesting now that maybe we check ourselves every time these emotions come up and figure out how we can make that anger into something useful, strategic, for example. Because our anger is not being received by the left. It's not being received by the American public, just like scandals, right? 
scandal after scandal. They don't, they don't mean anything anymore because there's constantly one out there. And so anyway, I just think that a little bit of grace, especially when it comes towards not you and I, but you and I in terms of other conservatives, other Republicans, other people out there fighting on the same side. We can't be controlled. We can't be taken over by our emotion. It's okay to be angry, but we've got to, to harness that and make it useful. And we can't revert to that as our de facto standard feeling all day long, every time, because we're not useful that way. Anger has a very, very wide target. Right? I learned this when I was an actor. And you listen to some podcast hosts too, right? It doesn't seem like they're talking to you. It feels like their speech is kind of, if you imagine your mouth, okay, and the words are just coming out like a beam of light. Well, some people, when they speak, that beam doesn't come out straight and hit you. It just comes out of the mouth and it goes out wide, like a triangle. And as it disperses that way, it loses its impact. And I'm suggesting that that might be happening right now on our side. Our anger is not so targeted, it's just generic because there's so much to be mad about. It's coming out of us and it's pouring out like this giant cone, like a shotgun shell, right? A shotgun instead of a direct hit. And so I just think it's important because of what I just went through. Okay, I've got to be targeted about my anger. And maybe anger is not always the right emotion, but even when it is the right emotion, I think it's very important that we direct that in a very targeted way, a very strategic way. All right? So anyway, this is Drew Allen, by the way, uh, your host, the host of The Drew Allen Show, the 34-year-old wonder kid, millennial, speaking more truth in 30 seconds than... Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez will speak in her entire life. Anyway, I just want to start out with that. Just some, just, some, just some thoughts that I had because, as I said, anger is a, is, a, is a totally appropriate emotion to have. It fits a lot of these instances and scenarios, but we've got to be careful with it because it's ruling our lives and not allowing us, I think, sometimes to make an impact and, and see things clearly and make strategic decisions to get this country back. This is Drew Allen, and we'll be right back. Now, it's truly remarkable to me that as I just finished writing an article laying out the already existing clear case justification, constitutional justification for the impeachment of Joe Biden based on so many different violations of his oath of office, being a traitor, um, subverting the Constitution, all of those, those things are already laid out. And then I wake up And there is, well, the golden goose. It laid another egg. And it's so rich because it's a very real, very real 
example of quid pro quo by Joe Biden. Now remember, the first impeachment of Donald Trump, they couldn't get him on Russia collusion because that was a lie. That wasn't going anywhere despite Mueller's investigation, which went on forever. And that was based on a lie, the Russian dossier, that was paid for by the DNC and the Hillary Clinton campaign. So the whole premise of Russian collusion was based on a lie, and they knew, they knew that Mueller wasn't going to come up with the goods because they had made it up. They were the ones who had invented it. They knew that it was not going to result in impeachment. And so here comes Alexander Vindman, who listened in on the perfect phone call with the president of Ukraine at the time, and then they used that as the grounds to impeach Donald Trump, and they impeached him on yet another lie. Now, it's important to note that, remember, we're not going to do an entire six hours going back into it, just the details that matter to prove the point. And to further our own case, that Joe Biden must be impeached. And forget about the fact that we don't own the House of Representatives. You still have to point out, you have to strategically, politically, build the case against Joe Biden. It's what you do in politics. The American, the pressure has to be put on him, and the, 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 our foot cannot get off the gas pedal. We must go on the offense, and here is yet another opportunity to pile on, but not pile on like the Democrats did with their invented, fabricated cases against Trump about real things that, that, that Joe Biden has done, offenses he's committed. Now, with Trump, quid pro quo, something for something, that's what the Latin phrase means. And so what they said about Trump was he had a phone call with the Ukrainian president. And Donald Trump, he said that they were going to withhold security funds if the Ukrainian president didn't investigate Burisma, if he didn't investigate CrowdStrike, if he didn't investigate, in their words, Joe Biden, a political opponent. But that fell apart immediately because, again, it was built on a lie. What was the first point? Well, one, Kiev, that's in Ukraine for the uh, liberal Democrats out there that don't know. Well, Kiev, it turns out that they did not know that Donald Trump had suspended security funds before Trump's phone call on July 25th. So the whole premise of the quid pro quo impeachment was that Donald Trump had threatened to withhold security funds if the Ukrainian president did not investigate, did not go after Joe Biden and Hunter Biden. But that's a lie. Because they didn't even know that those security funds had been withheld on the phone call and it wasn't brought up. So that didn't even have anything to do with the phone call. The withholding of those funds wasn't even an issue. 
And Zelensky, who was the Ukrainian president, who was on the other end of that phone call with Trump, well, he didn't know those funds had even been on hold, put on hold until a month after he talked to Trump. So the money was irrelevant. So there literally could not have been quid pro quo. And of course, the transcript revealed that it really was a perfect phone call. Zelensky demonstrated great respect for Trump on this phone call, and the president congratulated Zelensky on his win. And from that transcript, transcript, all the president said was, I'd like you to do us a favor, though. This is quote, a, a quote, direct quotation from the phone transcript. I would like you to do us a favor, though, because our country's been through a lot, and Ukraine knows a lot about it. I would like you to find out what happened with this whole situation with Ukraine. They say crowd strike. And then he goes on, he says, I would like to have the attorney general call you or your people, and I would like you to get to the bottom of it. And that was it. He didn't say, if you don't do this, you're going to be punished or anything else. It didn't happen. Zelensky responded, yes, it's very important for me and everything that you just mentioned earlier. For me as a president, it is very important, and we are open for any future cooperation. But there was another point, too, because asking for Zelensky's assistance in looking into an investigation, well, it was par for the course. It was legal because we had a treaty with Ukraine. And that treaty said to the Senate of the United States with a view to receiving the advice and consent of the Senate to ratification, I transmit herewith the treaty between the United States of America and Ukraine on mutual legal assistance in criminal matters with annex signed at Kiev on July 22, 1998. So this has been a long-standing with treaty, a long-standing a treaty since 1998, July 22nd, 1998, with the Ukrainian government to participate and exchange information about these investigations. Because, of course, we know that Joe Biden laughed. He actually patted himself on the back and was proud to admit that he had actually threatened Ukraine if they didn't have their prosecutor taken off the case which would have looked into not only Burisma, but his son by association. And so that quid pro quo quo was a joke. It wasn't real. And yet, what happened? Donald Trump was impeached for this. Impeached for something he did not do. Impeached for a lie. And so now we have an imperfect phone call. A real example of quid pro quo under the Biden administration. You can't make this stuff up. I mean, this is rich. This is perfect. And it goes back to the point that Joe Biden and the Democratic Party, they are everything they accuse Trump of being. They are guilty themselves of everything they accuse Donald Trump of being guilty of. And I want to read you from this real example of quid pro quo between Joe Biden and Ghani, who is the now embarrassed former president of Afghanistan who fled when the Taliban took over. This phone call took place on July 23rd of this year. So Biden calls Ghani and he says, Mr. President, Joe Biden, Ghani says, of course, Mr. President, such a pleasure to hear your voice. 
He's the only person in history who has ever uttered those words. A pleasure to hear your voice. We certainly don't feel that way, do we? It's painful to hear his voice. So Biden says, I'm going to read, read to you what he says. You know, I am a moment late, but I mean it sincerely. Hey, look, I want to make it clear that I am not a military man any more than you are. But I have been meeting with our Pentagon folks and our national security people, as you have with ours and yours. And as you know, and I need not tell you the perception around the world and in parts of Afghanistan, I believe, is that things aren't going well in terms of the fight against the Taliban. And there's a need, Biden says. Whether it is true or not, there is a need to project a different picture. So this is July 23rd. The Taliban are routing Afghanistan. Joe Biden is getting reports from his military advisors that the Taliban, it's becoming, it's, going, it's inevitable that they're going to take Afghanistan. And Joe Biden admits this, bad publicity, which is the reality of the situation, tells Ghani, I need you to lie. I need you to project a different picture. I need you to tell people that the Taliban, what's happening there, isn't actually happening. So he asked Ghani to lie for his own political gain. Biden goes on in the phone call. He says, if you empower Bismillah, that's the defense minister, Bismillah Khan Mohammed, if you empower him to execute a strategy focused on key parts of the population centers, and I'm not a military guy, so I'm not telling you what that plan should precisely look like, you're going to get not only more help, but you're going to get a perception that is going to change in terms of how um, our allies and folks here in the States and other places think you're doing. And if you do this, Biden says, if you do those things, Biden goes on and says, we will continue to provide close air support if we know what the plan is and what we are doing, and all the way through the end of August, and who knows what after that. So, there is a clear quid pro quo from Joe Biden. He is basically promising air support, promising to help out the Afghanis and the government that was currently in power there, only if they lied about the situation on the ground. Joe Biden was not interested in assisting because we had Americans there. He wasn't interested in assisting because it was a disaster. He wasn't interested in assisting to help the Afghani people. He was interested only because it was going to hurt his reputation. Because we have to go back now. This is a speech that Biden gave earlier in the month of July. This speech was given on July 8th, 2021. These are remarks by President Biden on the drawdown of U.S. forces in Afghanistan. So a few weeks before this phone call, Biden goes out and he gives a speech. 
And he says, he announces, of course, that, you know, we're going to draw down, right? He says, um, our military mission in Afghanistan will conclude on August 31st. So he puts that date out there for the first time. He says, August 31st is the date we're going to leave. He says the drawdown is proceeding in a secure and orderly way, prioritizing the safety of our troops as they depart. And he says, and thanks to the way in which we have managed our withdrawal, no one, no one, U.S. forces or any forces have, have been lost. Conducting our drawdown differently would have certainly come with an increased risk of safety to our personnel. So he's patting himself on the back earlier in July, talking about what a success he is, how he's getting our troops out without a hitch. And he goes on, he said, we provided our Afghan partners with all the tools. Let me emphasize, all the tools, training, and equipment of any modern military. We provided advanced weaponry. And we're going to continue to provide funding and equipment. And we'll ensure they have the cap capacity to maintain their air force. But most critically, as I stressed in my meeting just two weeks ago with President Ghani and Chairman Abdullah, Afghan leaders have to come together and drive toward a future that the Afghan people want and they deserve. In our meeting, I also assured Ghani that U.S. support for the people of Afghanistan will endure. We will continue to provide civilian and humanitarian assistance, including speaking out for the rights of women and girls. I intend to maintain our diplomatic presence in Afghanistan. And we are, clo we are coordinating closely with our international partners in order to continue to secure the international airport. What happened? What happened? All of those promises he made were working to ensure the security of the international airport. Well, we know that went to hell. He, he talks about all of his efforts to get Afghanis out of there. He says we're going we're gonna to make sure that we protect them. He says that, well, they're not going to leave anybody behind. And he did all of this. He lied through his teeth in July. And so this is July 8th. And then on July 23rd, just a couple weeks later, he calls Ghani again, knowing that, so he knows this is already a disaster. Two weeks later, he knows that, that he's made a mistake. He knows that the Taliban is taking over. And he has the gall, the stones, to call Ghani and ask Ghani to change the perception. To tell people that what's happening, the Taliban taking over, isn't happening. He doesn't change his strategy. He doesn't offer any more air support. So I, I, the questions that I have are, did he punish Ghani? Did Ghani not give him what he wanted in terms of perception when Ghani fled? Was this a vindictive act? Did he say, screw Ghani, screw the Afghani people? Because he has such an ego and no humility and no sense of justice and goodness and morality that he just gave up on it all? Because he knew, he knew, he knew on July 23rd that this situation was done. 
And when we get back, we're going to play a timeline. We're going to look at what he said. Now that we have the revelation of his admission on a private phone call on July 23rd, of him acknowledging that things were not going well and being worried about how it might transmit to his public image, what did he say after this July 23rd phone call? More lies. This is Drew Allen. We'll be right back. This world is killing me. Light it up. And we're back. So, to recap here. July 23rd, he has the conversation with Ghani. His quid pro quo conversation. July 23rd. He takes no action to change strategy. He acknowledges in the phone call that Afghanistan's not going well. And then we fast forward a month later to August 26th. And this is after the terror attack at the airport, which left 13 American service members dead and countless other Afghanis. Been a tough day, the president says. This evening in Kabul, as you, as, as you all know, terrorists attacked that we've been talking about and worried about that the intelligence community has assessed an attack by a group known as ISIS-K took the lives of American service members standing guard at the airport. And so... The point is that Joe Biden knew for at least a month that this inevitability was coming should he choose to do nothing. And what did he do? He chose to do nothing. And then, of course, he just gave another speech praising himself, talking about what a success this was. Never before in American history, have we been lied to to the extent that this president and this administration have lied to we, the people. But to keep our focus on the quid pro quo, this is a gift from above. Because this is a real quid pro quo which resulted in American casualties. This is a real quid pro quo, which resulted in hundreds, but definitely more, American citizens being stranded and abandoned in Afghanistan. Joe Biden has lied repeatedly. He lied when he went on TV and said that we wouldn't leave until we got every American out. And then now they act like, well, this is, this is just normal. We always leave Americans behind. This is their excuse. This is their response. And I just want you to understand that for the Republican Party, I mean, this is it. This is the end of the Biden administration. Even if you... We have to accept that there are a number 
Well, tens of millions of Americans who don't care. There are tens of, a million, tens of millions of Americans who will still defend this administration, who will simply say, well, it's, he's better than Donald Trump, the orange man. But those people aside, this is a golden opportunity. I'm not a politician, but unfortunately, which is damning, frankly, you and I understand strategy better than the Republican Party. We had Mitch McConnell who just came out and said, we're not going to push forward with any impeachment. There's never going to be an impeachment because we don't have the House. And so we can't get an impeachment. That never would stop the Democrats. And so this should change the game. Because President Trump was literally impeached the first time for a quid pro quo phone call that didn't happen. And now we have a real quid pro quo phone call between Joe Biden and the former president of Afghanistan. And we have to adopt these new standards. But we're not just sinking to the level of the Democrats because this is something that actually took place and Americans died because of it. The Republicans must push forward with impeachment. They must, look, they don't have to even just push for impeachment. They can demand resignation. And the resignation starts with Joe Biden. And I know we have to have this conversation again, friends. We do, patriots, from sea to shining sea. I know what the naysayers out there say. They say, well, they're, they're fatalistic, just like Mitch McConnell. People say, well, we, we get rid of uh, Biden, but then we get Harris and she's so much worse. No, no, you're not understanding the situation. One, there have to be consequences. Heads have to roll for this type of real earned head rolling. They must. And Kamala Harris isn't going to run this administration any more than Biden is. But it's about this defeatist mentality. Americans are giving up hope because the Republican Party refuses to fight for the American people. Joe Biden must resign at a minimum. He must resign. Richard Nixon resigned because he tapped, wiretapped, the phones in the DNC headquarters, his political opposition. Joe Biden has done that and then 10,000 other offenses. And it's not even about what the result can be that can be achieved. The American people, we understand the situation. We're not stupid. We understand that Congress is not ours that we're a minority in the House and a minority in the Senate because Kamala Harris is the tie-breaking vote. But what we want is somebody who's going to fight for us, who's going to stand on principle. It doesn't matter that they own Congress. It doesn't matter that Nancy Pelosi will never go along with this. It's about fighting. It's about not waving the white flag of surrender. It's about not just making excuses time and time again not to take action, not to do your job, not to fight for the, well, the protection and defense of this country. And that's what it comes down to. Biden lied, people died. That's the truth. 
The Democrats engage in this, in this type of kitschy speech and phraseology all the time because it's effective. Hands up, don't shoot. Yeah, it's dumb. And in that case, it was a lie as well. But in this case, it's real. And it's time to start playing the game. It's time to get in the arena and fight for keeps. The Democrats always fight for keeps. They always play to win. But Republicans, time and time again, are content to just lose with dignity. What dignity? Our country doesn't have any dignity right now. And that's why impeachment and resignation have to be the only two words uttered from the mouths of every Republican. Every Republican. Okay? It's necessary. Not just because it's right, because the American people need to understand that those in power, those that have been elected, are actually fighting to defend us. And that's the problem in America right now. We don't feel like there's anyone defending us politically. Because there isn't. There's a handful. But the Democrats play the game. They go to the media. They spread their lies. And we have truth. Here we have an opportunity in which we were so frustrated because Donald Trump was impeached because of quid pro quo that didn't happen. And now we have Joe Biden caught committing quid pro quo for real. And our response has to be just as potent, just as fearful. It's time for a new Republican Party, a new Republican Party that plays to win, that fights for you and me. And that's really what this is about. I'm going to take one short break. I'm going to come back and get caught up on some other news out there. You know, one of the one of the primary reasons that I'm not a Democrat, one of the reasons I could never be a Democrat, is because they are so... They're a party of hypocrisy, a party of irrationality, a party that has no through line of rationality whatsoever. And nothing, nothing describes that irrationality and amorality and insanity of the Democratic Party than the issue of abortion. Now, Democrats, they, they, for example, they oppose the death penalty because they claim that no American, whether guilty of murder or anything else, should lose their life. They fight for the lives of killers, of the worst of mankind, because they say and claim that no American citizen, even if they're guilty of murder, should be subject to death. 
It's amoral, they say. And yet when it comes to the innocent unborn, they claim that the innocent unborn has no rights whatsoever. That the innocent unborn should be killed because that's a personal choice, even though that child has done nothing wrong. It doesn't make any sense rationally. I mean, if a Democrat came out and made a moral claim, which I'm fine to entertain, that we shouldn't have a death penalty because they revere life, even if that person has killed life, taken life, and at the same time, they also claim that there can be no abortion because they want to fight for the lives of the innocent, that's fine, but they don't do that. And now we have, for example, the Supreme Court has denied a request to stop Texas, okay? Texas just just made a six-week abortion ban. Surprise, surprise, John Roberts sided with the liberals in dissenting. But this is from CNN. The Supreme Court formally denied a request from Texas abortion providers to freeze a state law that bars abortions after six weeks. So, you cannot get an abortion in Texas now if the pregnancy is six weeks along. And, you know, the, the, the Democratic Party, for example, they used to claim, proclaim, profess that abortion should be rare and legal. But they have changed. They don't want abortions to be rare and legal. They want them to be common and legal. They want to have late-term abortions as the law of the land. And so, of course, the Democrats are all up in arms because Texas has done something that is absolutely moral. And within their jurisdiction, states' rights, they can set the tone. They can make decisions for their states that don't have to apply to all 50 states. And so, you know, in the dissenting opinions, Justice Sonia Sotomayor, who's an activist judge, well, they, they, she joined with her colleagues, her two liberal colleagues. She called the majority's order stunning. Stunning that you will protect the life of innocent Americans, innocent unborn babies. Here's what she wrote. Presented with an application to enjoin a flagrantly unconstitutional law engineered to prohibit women from exercising their constitutional rights and evade judicial scrutiny, a majority of justices have opted to bury their heads in the sand. Well, it was Roe v. Wade was not a constitutional ruling any more than it was a constitutional ruling back in the, the, the era of slavery leading up to the Civil War and Dred Scott to say that blacks didn't have rights. That wasn't, the, the Supreme Court's rulings 
depend on moral individuals, and sometimes they're wrong. Sometimes they rule unconstitutionally. And so the left is up in arms about this. Meanwhile, they push vaccination mandates, so they claim out of one side of their mouth, our body, our choice. If we act irresponsibly and get pregnant and just choose to terminate a life, that's our body, our choice. But when it comes to the vaccine, for something that poses no real threat to at least 99.5% of Americans, well, that's not your body, your choice. You're putting my life at risk. You must be vaccinated. So liberal Democrats argue that when it comes to getting pregnant, they can kill a child. That's their body, their choice. But when it comes to the vaccine, it's not your body, your choice. It's my choice for your body. And that's why I have no respect for Democrats whatsoever. They have no morality. And the issue, the issue of abortion is simple. It is taking a human life. And when they make abortion so readily available and promote it, it's promoting irresponsibility. It is your body, your choice, in the sense that you can choose to behave irresponsibly. We have birth control. We have condoms, folks. And people that don't choose to use those, I'm sorry, what's wrong with you? I get that it happens. But you have a period. I'm sorry if this is getting personal, but it's true. You have a period every month. Women know they can get pregnant. And so if you're six weeks in and don't know you're pregnant, you are an ignorant individual. Look, I know people who have had abortions. I'm not saying abortions are never going to happen. They've always happened. People use, I'm sorry for this, okay? Just bear with me. People have used coat hangers when it was not allowed. People will go to inns to terminate pregnancies because they don't want them, okay? That's reality. It's going to happen. But to create a society that condones that behavior, condones abortion, that's a different situation altogether. I understand there are reasons that people decide to have abortions and so on and so forth. But the answer isn't to make them common. The answer isn't to create a society in which you say, well, if you... You know, please act irresponsibly. Please do whatever you want. Please go and have sex with as many people as you want because there will be no consequences. That is not the message. The message is this happens. You don't want this to happen. Use birth control. Use condoms. Be careful. Take care of yourself. Act responsibly. That's the message. But Democrats don't want to have that take place. They want to tell you, you have a right to terminate pregnancy in late term, as late as you want. That's a human life. And Reagan made the greatest point ever. I forget the exact scenario, but his point was when he went into this room, well, let's just say this. Let's just say this. 
There are individuals who are adults now who their parents decided not to abort them. Their parents were not ready for a baby. Perhaps their parents weren't financially ready to have a baby or anything else. They weren't responsible. And yet, Reagan said, I believe, I've noticed that every living child, no living child, every person, every adult who is for abortion, well, they've already been born. Is that not powerful? I've noticed that everyone who is for abortion has already been born. Let that sink in. That's all that needs to be said. But of course, the Democrats are now actively saying that, you know, Texans are against women's rights. Well, what about the child's rights? You know, these are moral discussions to have. They're pertinent moral discussions that we have to have. And when you don't respect the sanctity of human life, it leads to other poor, amoral decisions. Again, I get it. I get the people who choose to have abortions. I'm not condemning those individuals. But no one who's had an abortion that I know, and I know people who've had them, has said, I'm so thankful. They don't say it without any kind of empathy, any condolence. It's not a decision they wish they had to have made and they won't make it again. But Whole Women's Health, which has four clinics in Texas, they say they're offering abortion services only if no embryonic or fetal cardiac activity is detected in the sonogram. So they're drastically limiting their services. What's wrong with that? What's wrong with them saying that? The Democrats are not moral individual, individuals. They defend the rights of criminals who've committed murder, but they promote the murder of innocent babies. And that's why I'm not a Democrat. That issue in itself sums it up. I can't do it. I could never be a Democrat. This is Jarrell, and we'll be right back. And we're back for a final segment here. I want to talk about Matt Gates. I want to talk about Matt Gates because I want to talk about the immoral depravity of the Democratic Party, not only the Democratic Party, but also the mainstream media, the drive-bys. <clears throat> Matt Gates, well, he's been exonerated. Now, Recall how Matt Gates was attacked. Actually, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to play a clip of what the media said about Matt Gates, and then I'm going to talk about how they lied through their teeth 
because Matt Gates is a Republican, Matt Gates is a Republic is a conservative, and they hate Matt Gates and they wanted to get rid of him. And so they will lie, they will sink to any low to attack, well, whether it's Trump or Gates, to get rid of them. The truth be damned. But here's what the what, what, what the media had said about Matt Gates. Now to a CBS News investigation and allegations that Congressman Matt Gates may have traveled overseas with a donor who's accused of funding the trip and paying for female escorts. The Florida Republican has broadly denied the allegations but has confirmed that he is under federal investigation. Tonight, CBS News has learned Gates sought a blanket pardon in the waning days of the Trump administration and that the probe into the 38-year-old may now be expanding. Here's CBS's Major Garrett. So that was CBS News. And uh, that's what the other reports were as well in the drive-by media. So Gates, of course, told Tucker Carlson back in, in March that what's happening is an extortion of me and my family. Now, what was happening? Well, uh, Gates' father had received a text message from someone demanding a meeting wherein a person demanded a $25 million in exchange for making horrible sex trafficking allegations against me go away. That's against Matt Gates. So these baseless claims were made against Matt Gates that he was involved in some sex trafficking scheme. And so the allegations were made, and the media picked up on them, and then this person said he'd make them go away if... Matt Gates' father paid $25 million. And so Stephen Alford is at the heart of all of this. He's the man who is now indicted, indicted for this extortion scheme. Um, on Tuesday uh, of this week, Florida developer Stephen Alford, well, he was indicted by a federal grand jury for attempting to extort the family of house rep of Florida, Matt Gates, out of $25 million in exchange for making, as of yet, unproven allegations of sexual impropriety against the congressman disappear. So he makes these allegations that are not based in reality, that are untrue, of sexual impropriety by Congressman Matt Gates. And then he goes to the Gates family and says, I'll make these allegations go away if you give me $25 million. And the media ran with this, of course, and were just so excited to have a story to bury Matt Gates, destroy his political career, because he's MAGA, right? So anyone MAGA, anyone Trump has to be destroyed. Well, it turns out that, well, this guy was lying. He made up the allegations, and he was extorting the Gates family. But the uh, media was all, well, they couldn't be more pleased with themselves to have a story to destroy Matt Gates. They didn't care about uh, uh, who this individual was. They didn't care about investigating if it was true or not. They were just all in, piling on against Matt Gates. And that's your media today, and that's the Democratic Party. They, they, there are no lows too low for them to sink in order to accomplish a political agenda, to destroy their political opponents. And that's the truth of this. They do this time and time again. They did it to Trump for at least four years, even before he ran for office. And now they're doing it to Matt Gates, and they'll come for anyone else. 
And that's the thing again about when I get back to saying why I could never be a Democrat, because I, I, I'm just not a stupid person. I know how the media works. I know how disgusting and reprehensible the Democratic Party is. And here's another example. They tried to bury Matt Gates for something he did not do. And they'll come at anyone like that. They are not journalists, CNN, CBS, MSNBC, NBC. It's not journalism. It's propaganda. It's propaganda. And they're not moral individuals, and they're certainly not journalists. And this is why I don't believe anything they say, because they've been proven to be liars time and time again. It's always been this way, but it's picked up steam in our recent era. But Matt Gates is, is, is completely exonerated. He claimed that this was false, and he's been proven to have, have told the truth. It was another hit job by the media, and the media is not your friend. They're not here to report they're not here to investigate. They only exist to serve the Democratic Party. You're welcome, America. Another one bites the dust. This is Drew Allen. We'll be right back. It really is amazing to me to observe and continue to think about how everything that, that, that the Democratic Party has put us through in terms of their false narratives, their false accusations, calling, comparing Trump to Hitler, Russia collusion, quid pro quo, the January 6th insurrection lie, every one of these attempts has been proven to be a fabrication. And the media has been complicit in all of it because the Democratic Party and the mainstream media are one in the same, built from the same cloth. They work together to help the Democratic Party. And that is really alarming. The, the government, the Democratic Party at least, uh, they're not only colluding, of course, with big tech companies to censor the voices of their political opposition, but now we have the newest report that they are now colluding with private companies, private companies, to create a surveillance state. Now, look, we've had a, a, a semblance of a surveillance state for some time. The, the Democratic Party has weaponized uh, the NSA, for example, to go after Tucker Carlson uh, and used and abused the instruments of power uh, to wiretap and so on and so forth. And now we have them doing it in broad daylight in an absolute violation of the Constitution, of course, and in a way that is actually unconscionable in a way that once again proves who this Democratic Party is. They are the enemy of the Constitution. They are the enemy within. The Democratic Party poses a greater threat to this country than any foreign nation ever could. They are 
that which the founders feared could take place in this country. Despite the checks and balances, despite the U.S. Constitution, despite the brilliance of the founders, well, none of it, none of it is a fortified enough um, barricade against the desires of evil, amoral men and women. The Constitution would not have stopped Adolf Hitler. The Constitution would not have stopped Napoleon Bonaparte. The Constitution would not have stopped Kim Jong-un or countless others that have higher ambitions that cannot be limited because their ambitions exceed what they're given in a constitutional republic. And so... Of course, using the facade of the January 6th insurrection, just like the Nazis did with the Reichstag fire, well, now we have the Democratic Party attempting to strong-arm private companies to turn over individuals' private data. So, the select panel, which of course included Adam Kinzinger, who will be no more soon, by the way, that's what you get for making a deal with the devil, Adam. But more on that in just a moment. So they've made a request asking telecommunications companies to save records relevant to the attack. And that's a request that could include records from some lawmakers. Anyone who they deem could have been a part of the January 6th insurrection while they're asking the telecommunications communications companies to save those text messages, those phone calls, all of it. More than 30 companies, by the way. That includes Apple. You have an iPhone? AT&T? Verizon? They all received a request for records from April 1st, 2020 to January 31st, 2021. That is a huge window, a huge amount of time. So the select committee, they're investigating the violent attack, as they continue to call it, on the Capitol. And they continue to allege it was an attempt to overturn the results. Nothing about that would have overturned the results. So that's a lie as well, of course. But they've asked companies, this is their announcement, we've asked companies not to destroy records that may help answer questions for the American people. The committee's efforts won't be deterred by those who want to whitewash or cover up the events of January 6th or obstruct our investigation. The Democratic Party is absolutely lawless. Absolutely lawless. And what is most fearful is these companies may be willing to go along with it. And so nothing is safe. There is no protection while this Democratic Party remains in power. And that's why they must be voted out. I know that may not be what you want to hear right now because, of course, the danger will continue until 2022 and 2024 and even after that, beyond. But I just, the Democratic Party is an evil party. They have no morals, and they are the greatest enemy this nation has ever faced in our history. But back to Adam Kinzinger. 
So uh, I had an article that came out in American Thinker as well, and I, I talked about Kinzinger, because remember, Kinzinger, of course, cried his crocodile tears for the panel on the opening testimony there. He joined the January 6th Select Committee. Of course, uh, the Republicans tried to put on actual conservatives on the committee, and they were rejected by Nancy Pelosi. So Nancy Pelosi asked uh, Adam Kinzinger, and Kinzinger, of course, said, yes, it's my duty. I'm a, I'm a conservative Republican. I, I, I just... I, I'm flattered to do this job. I'm flattered to be here. The guy's there's nothing conservative about the guy. He's not even a Republican. He might as well be a Democrat. But he kissed their butts so hard. Um, in doing all this, of course, contributing to the demise of this country. And here's the thing. Adam Kinzinger represents so many people. You know these people in life. They just, they've got low self-esteem. All they want to do is belong. They just want to be accepted, even if it's with the bullies. They just want a, the mainstream media to, to recognize them. They want CNN to invite them on their programs to give them respect. And of course, meanwhile, all the people that he actually represents in his constituency don't respect him at all. All of us Republicans and conservatives reject him absolutely. But he's not surrounded by any of those people. He insulates himself in the bubble in Washington, D.C. And so desperate is he for someone to tell him he's cool, tell him he's pretty. Tell him he has meaning. Tell him he's doing a good job. Well, for that, he'll sell his country out. And that's what he's done. But, of course, he thought the Democrats would respect him. He thought he could earn their respect and admiration. And, of course, we find out that the state of Illinois, because of the last census data, well, they're losing a congressional district. So they have to eliminate a congressional district in Illinois. And guess what? The Democrats own Illinois. And guess what the Democrats are going to be doing this week? Eliminating Adam Kinzinger's congressional district in Illinois. All of that selling the country out. All of that for personal applause, for personal fame. I hope Kinzinger enjoyed his five minutes of fame. I didn't know who he was until this year. And the scumbag, well, he did everything the Democrats wanted. He prostrated himself on the floor. He got on his knees put his head down, begged them, told them how much he loved them, what he would do for them, how he would destroy the country for them if they just put him on CNN, if they just let him play golf with them. And I hope he cries some real tears now, because that's what Adam Kinzinger gets, the elimination of his congressional seat, because you cannot earn the Democratic Party's respect. They will chew you up and spit you out. You're a means to an end, Adam Kinzinger, and it just wasn't worth it. But back to this quid pro quo. The reason it's so important, look, there are worse violations, of course, that have had more damaging effects on this country, like 13 dead service members, for example. But the reason quid pro quo, if the Republican Party had an ounce of intelligence or strategy amongst them, would focus specifically and never let up on quid pro quo impeachment for Joe Biden because there are records, there are interviews. The media demanded quid pro quo. Nancy Pelosi demanded quid pro quo impeachment. And so they don't have a defense against this. They cannot defend themselves because they literally impeached a president for this very thing 
We know Trump didn't get it, but put it aside. They set that precedent. We got to play the game. We got to play the game. And quid pro quo is the way we play the game. They cannot say he didn't do it. They cannot say there's no grounds for impeachment because of it, because Donald Trump was impeached for this. And so politically, even, even I, I hate to say it, but even the dumbest Democratic voter out there, they cannot deny in their minds that they created this scenario. They opened the floodgates to this. And so this can do great political damage. This will expose the Democrats. It's all about continuing to expose the Democrats. Donald Trump started it, not just with them, but with the establishment, of course, the swamp. But no one can deny the abject hypocrisy, the liars, that everything this Democratic Party has done for so long is politically motivated, that they're amoral, unhinged. And so you press them with quid pro quo, with everything you have right now, full court press, and watch Nancy Pelosi and all the others show their ugly face of hypocrisy to the American people again, because that's what it's about. That's what it's about. Yeah, we need to get uh, Biden to resign. We need, but we got, you know, we got to learn to juggle. We got to learn to do, you know, chew bubblegum and walk at the same time. The Democratic Party is pressing everything all the time and setting these fires. Well, we got to do the same thing with them. We've got to keep the momentum. We've got to keep the pressure on them. And so here's an issue that we can't let up. The Democrats wouldn't do it, and it's effective, and that's why we have to do it as well. But anyway, uh, this is Drew Allen. We're out of time today. And I want to thank you again for listening, and uh, until next time.